Hello and welcome back to the AF Podcast with me, your host, Ali Mack. So back again with another episode today. Today I'm going to talk all about nutrition, basically just because I've had a few questions recently kind of about nutrition and I wanted to go into a bit of depth in this episode with the subject as a whole because it can be something that I think gets confusing very easily. It can feel overwhelming. So I'm going to talk you through the process I kind of recommend and suggest to clients and basically give you an understanding of why we do that, okay? So launching straight into it, it depends if you listened to last week's episode or not, but I'll just cover it briefly um, for those who might not have. So first thing I prioritize getting right with clients is mindset, okay? Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, if you get yourself in a good headspace with nutrition, you'll develop consistency. If you're confident in your routine, you don't feel pressurized, then that is sustainable, okay? So we focus on getting people in a good place in that sense first. Big part of that is applying the seven-day mindset. So in principle, that is a term I use to kind of describe essentially how we approach nutrition, which is we track averages over the course of the week. Okay, as opposed to looking for perfection day to day. So if you're tracking calories, instead of looking at it from a daily point of view, which when you're looking at it daily, obviously that's relevant to an extent, but you can get hyper-focused on the numbers. So if you go over your goal by 100, it kind of throws you off for the rest of the week sort of thing. So instead of getting hyper-focused day to day, we look at it weekly. So if your daily goal is 2,000, we look at it as 14,000 a week and it just creates flexibility, okay? So we apply that mindset, that removes the pressure from nutrition and lets you focus on the actual job at hand, okay? Taking control. From there, the priorities, I've kind of um, listed them out in my notes, but basically it's calories first. So we prioritize getting people tracking calories first, getting comfortable with that habit. From there, we focus in on protein, I'm going to discuss why in a minute. After we've kind of established a good habit with protein, we sort of start to look at refining carbs and fats if necessary from there. Again, I'm going to discuss them in a bit more detail, the kind of macros as a whole. And then it's just a case of refining little bits here and there as we go, as I said, if necessary, because chances are for a lot of people listening to this, you won't need to be as fussy as you think with your nutrition. If you get the basics down, you get the calories right and the protein, more than likely that will be enough, okay? But I am gonna talk in a bit more detail about carbs and fats as well and kind of where they fall in, in the grand scheme of things, okay? But if we're gonna go into macros, the important place to start is protein because as I said, that is the first sort of protocol after you get that calories locked in and discuss why and give you a bit more info kind of on how to build protein, how to build up your protein intake and simple tools you can use to do so, okay? So the main reason we go protein first is twofold, okay? Obviously, well not obviously, chances are you will have heard of the muscle building benefits of protein. So if you are doing resistance training, you're lifting weights, obviously we want to make sure we're getting the most from that and supplying the body with protein so it can recover and build a bit of muscle tissue okay because ultimately that muscle tissue long term as well increasing the amount of muscle you're carrying will slowly but surely 
up the amount of calories you need to consume to maintain that. So in the long term, it will have a positive effect on fat loss and it will make fat loss a little bit easier. It's not a case of you build a few pounds of muscle and you suddenly need a thousand calories more. It's minute, I can't remember the amount off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it does have a small positive effect kind of long term, so it makes fat loss that bit easier, okay? So we wanna make sure we're getting protein in for that reason. But the big thing from a fat loss point of view is protein increases satiety, okay? So basically satiety translates as the feeling of fullness, okay? So protein takes longer to digest, leaving you feeling fuller for longer. And in a fat loss phase, that is super useful because it means when we're eating in a deficit anyway, we're gonna sort of stave off that feelings of hunger for a little bit longer. So that's kind of the second main reason we prioritize protein, okay? So basically building muscle and leaves you feeling a bit fuller, okay? So in terms of actually how to increase your protein intake, okay, and kind of busting some myths on different things you can use to do so. So what I would say with protein intake, okay, is it's probably gonna take you time to up it if you are used to a slightly lower protein diet, okay? A lot of people are, they tend to fall into the sort of, I suppose anywhere from low end would be 40 grams a day to maybe 60, 80 grams a day. I would say most people fall into that category when they start off. So a general good guideline to aim for, I would say, to try and get to, as I say, this is a general guideline. If you want more specific information, message me. I would say good place to aim is 100 grams, okay, as a starting point. But that's going to take time to build to if you're down at, let's say, 40 grams a day, okay? So don't try and pile a ton of protein in straight away because your body's not going to thank you for it. Um, it's going to be not the most comfortable situation from a digestion point of view. So take your time, build it in slowly, okay? So if you're starting at 40 grams, let's get to 60. Once we're comfortable at 60, let's get to 80. Once we're comfortable there, then we'll try and shoot for the 100. As I kind of mentioned, like this is a very general guideline. If you're somebody, like I'm trying to think, like, you know, like if you're a bigger guy, um, for example, you might need more protein to kind of optimize muscle growth. It's You're sort of looking at the general recommendation, again, is a gram per pound of body weight. So just do the maths based off of that. So very general guideline there, but slow progression up to that, I would say. Um, key points in kind of doing that, though, that I would recommend in building it in, because it's fine seeing taking it slow, but I need to give you an actual structure of how to do so. So personally, what I would say starting off is spread it out, okay? So if you're shooting for... 60, 80 grams a day. Don't try and eat that all in one sitting, spread it out. So what I do personally is I make sure, and that's probably a really useful tip, I make sure I start my day with protein. So generally I switch back and forth between meat-based breakfast and porridge oats. If it's porridge oats, I use something like the skier yogurt or skier yogurt, and that's about 20 grams, 30 grams a day. That gives me that kind of initial portion of protein and it's just enough for me to kind of stave off that sort of feeling of hunger until I eat again sort of late morning early afternoon okay so number one tip would be start your day with protein generally spread it out I would say you know if you can get three to three to four meals in 
um, where you're sort of hitting 20, 25 grams of protein a meal, I would say you'll be laughing, but just don't try and consume it all at once, okay? Something I want to talk about while I'm on protein is shakes because it's something that is often, I think it's getting better, but I think it's still something that's a bit misunderstood when it comes to what they actually do, okay? So protein shakes in general are just whey protein, okay? So they're quite a fast digesting protein source. They get into the system quickly and start the recovery process. Shakes in general are not really gonna, they're not any different in terms of what's in them versus eating, you know, a chicken breast, for example, like protein's protein in that sense is kind of what I'm saying. Um, without going off on a tangent so protein shakes aren't going to bulk you up any more consuming protein from them than they are consuming protein from a chicken breast okay so don't be afraid of using them i know for a long time they were associated with bulking up that's purely down to the association with bodybuilding but they're not going to make you pile pounds on generally what i would say as a guideline though with that in mind is make sure that the protein shake you are getting is quite a lean sort of whey protein source so basically they're not bulked up with a ton of crap so like carbs and fats in there as well okay because that is what adds the calories to these shakes but generally whey protein that can be a really useful tool to up your protein intake it's not going to have any negative effects if shakes are an easy way to get protein in okay i would always say if you can get your protein in from food do so but shakes are a really useful way of boosting it if not and certainly don't be afraid of them, okay? They're a tool to be used like all other food sources when we need to, okay? So that's kind of your general information on protein. Probably went off on a few tangents in that section. Um, so I'll try and refine it a little bit for my carb section. So I'll launch into that next. So carbs, again, are often, I think, an overcomplicated part of the process. People... I've heard various things about them over the years. Carbs are really bad for, you know, weight gain, etc. And we're just going to start. We're going to bust some of these myths and I'm going to break down the sources for you, what you need to know about carbs and kind of how to fit them into your diet, okay? So carbs are a little bit simpler. They are categorized in two forms, okay? So slow digesting and fast digesting, okay? A slow digesting carb or a complex carbohydrate as it is also known, basically does what it says in the tin. It takes a longer period of time to digest. Generally, they are higher in fiber, which aids in that kind of slow digestion, and they leave you feeling fuller for longer, okay? You're all also more likely to have like stable blood sugar levels, glucose levels, when you consume complex carbs because they're not sugar-based and you're not gonna be battling that constant kind of sugar spikes and drops, okay? So again, in a fat loss phase, and just in general, because I would say a mistake a lot of people make nowadays is there's too many fast digesting carbs in their diet and the energy levels are up and down like a yo-yo and it has big mood effects and in my opinion, it can certainly doesn't help with cravings, okay? So it makes sense if you're pursuing fat loss, but just in general, to base the majority of your carb intake around slow digesting sources, okay? Because we want stable energy levels, you know, for things like training, we want stable energy levels because generally I think people end up in a better mood 
you have a more stable mood, there's not these highs and lows. And yeah, ultimately, it's just going to leave you in a better place overall. So off the top of my head, good sources, things like oats, uh, wholemeal foods, brown rice, stuff like that is a good place to start. I'm trying to avoid too many fast digesting carbs, okay? So fast digesting carbs, simply put, are simple sugars, okay? So I kind of I kind of touched on it there explaining the slow digesting, but basically they just get into the system really quick, give you that kind of quick rush of energy that is very short-lasting and then disappear, okay? They tend to be low in fiber, so they're in to the system super quick and out of the system super quick too, okay? So as I mentioned, in my opinion... I think keeping the minimal in the diet is better for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons being, I don't really think they do anything to help with cravings, okay? Because if you're taking in a ton of sugar, you get that intense rush and then it dips, you're looking for more energy, okay? You've not actually been satisfied by what you've consumed. Whereas if you're taking slow digesting, the trade-off is you don't get that intense rush of energy, but it's a more stable release and generally i would say you're less likely to go looking for more then okay so limiting them on the diet where they can be useful is bringing them in sort of post-workout so let's say you've had a big leg day for example you're quite depleted you'll often see people munching away on gummy bears or something like that after a workout that is just to get a quick source of energy back into the body and start the recovery process so they can be useful there again have them in the diet in moderation but keep those things in mind that if you're somebody who maybe struggles with cravings in general they might not help that in that sense that is where carbs get this sort of bad rep i would say because they are much easier to consume than protein in that sense the example i always use right is if i asked you to sit down and eat a bag of doritos that's the best part of 2,000 calories, one of the share bags, okay? Probably most people could do that, no bother. I certainly could. Um, but if I asked you to sit down and eat a whole chicken, probably most people would struggle with that, okay? Even though it's only 1,200 calories. So that's an example of how carbs are that bit easier to consume. As a result, like overconsumption obviously leads to more calories taken in and potential weight gain. So that's kind of where that myth comes that carbs make you fat they don't make you fat if they're controlled but again if you base them around base your sources around slow digesting sources over fast digesting you're probably less likely to overconsume, and therefore overall the whole process will be a bit easier okay so in summary go slow digesting over fast digesting you'll probably feel a lot better both physically and mentally. And if you're in a fat loss phase, it will be that little bit easier, okay? So moving on to the last macro, which is fat. Okay, so again, I've kind of gone in order of what, how much information do I want to give on each. Fat is a little bit simpler. So basically it's essential. Fat is essential in the diet because it carries out a lot of, essential functions in the body it regulates hormones and probably the simplest most important reason to have it in there is you get fat soluble vitamins okay so vitamins that the body can only digest with the presence of fat so it's essential to have a decent amount of fat in there to allow those 
vitamins to kind of be absorbed. But that's kind of the boring stuff, okay? You probably didn't come here looking for a breakdown of fat by category. So I'm just going to give you the basics with it. So general guidelines in terms of the amount of fat you want to consume. I would say 20 to 25% of your total calorie intake will be fine. Generally, again, referring back to my kind of order of priorities, I find that if you prioritize protein and you have a decent kind of carb balance in there, fat tends to take care of itself, okay? But I would avoid doing any sort of low-fat methodology because your body's not going to thank you in the long term, okay? So kind of looking for that 20 to 25% range in total. I think important stuff I want to cover with fat is more busting myths there, kind of where the low-fat thing came from, and again, giving you an understanding of why and why it's not really a thing. So if we look at macros as a whole, okay, carbs and protein are four calories per gram. Fat is nine, okay? So obviously when the powers that be decided low-fat was the way to go, all they were thinking was it's a great way to limit calories, okay? Because you're essentially, for every gram of fat, you're taking in twice as many calories as a gram of carbs and protein, okay? But what they failed to do was do it in a healthy way because a lot of these low-fat products you see and diet approaches basically tend to just skyrocket your sugar. So they take the fat out and they put sugar in instead. So again, like... I got caught in it when I was losing weight. I tried some low-fat approaches and I basically just ended up with that levels of energy I was kind of talking about with a lot of fast-digesting carbs in there. Really intense spike, really intense drop-off, and I probably just over-consumed as a result. So total calories consumed, there wasn't much difference. So, yeah, don't get caught up in chasing any sort of low-fat trends. Keep it in there at sort of 20 to 25% off your total calorie intake and that is a good general guideline one thing i would say the duty is kind of out on you probably hear a lot about that as well is saturated fat intake that is what you would categorize or what the powers that be would categorize as bad fat okay so i'm not going to give you any solid advice on what to do with that what i would say is moderate your saturated fat intake don't let it get out of hand I think the general guidelines are 20 to 30 grams a day um i think it's 30 grams a day for a man 20 for a woman so i wouldn't say it's a bad idea to stick to that but vice versa don't be super scared of it either and yeah i think that's probably all i need to cover in fat too so what i have got is three different questions i've been asked that i think are also useful to cover with regards to kind of nutrition and supplement use in general okay so i'm going to break them down and then that'll probably round out the episode so first one was from a client just in a session during the week last week and he was basically like how much of an effect is it actually going to have on kind of the muscle i'm carrying once i'm done my fat loss phase if i am not hitting my protein intake okay and this is kind of a really open-ended question, okay, in the sense that a lot of things need to be factored in there, okay? So how much weight you actually have to lose, if it's a few pounds, it's probably going to lessen the effect because the deficit's going to be a bit harsher, it's going to be a shorter period of time, 
therefore you are less likely to actually lose muscle through the process. If you're somebody who you know has a hundred pounds to lose, you're probably more likely to spend a well, you're gonna spend a substantially longer period of time in a deficit. Therefore, if you've not got the protein there um to kind of repair and replenish the muscle, then chances are you are more likely to lose more muscle. Okay. So the it's open-ended it really depends on how far you have to go again my general advice would be just make sure you're getting it done don't take the risk again if it's fat loss you're after and you're not worried about sort of having a muscular or tone dependence as much as i hate that word um when you're done then maybe don't sweat it as much but if you're wanting to kind of optimize the amount of muscle on your frame don't take the risk and make sure your protein intake is up there okay Second one I got, and again, it's protein related, but I thought it was relevant to cover. So it was basically how much of a difference does it make having a plant-based diet versus a meat-based diet, okay? So this is obviously a complex subject in that people go plant-based for different reasons, but it was something that kind of really blew up a few years ago. I'm going to give you my personal opinion. I'm not saying it's right as such, but it is kind of more facts based so personally i think you see poorer results with a plant-based diet that is mainly down to the quality of protein so basically you get complete proteins and incomplete proteins it's a really simple way of putting it so a complete protein source has all the essential amino acids that the body needs incomplete doesn't okay so Plant-based sources tend to not have all those amino acids, therefore they're a poorer source of protein. So again, it's gonna have some effect. Now, does that mean that all of your protein has to come from meat-based sources? Absolutely not. But it does make sense to have meat-based proteins in there, okay? Um, and whey sources in there purely because they are the higher source, higher quality source of protein. So again, it comes down to what matters more in the sense of if you are going to look to optimize everything from a fitness point of view then have it in there if something you know if being plant-based is something you're doing because of your values then absolutely i'm not saying scrap off your values for a bit of extra um, meat that's completely up to you but yeah to answer the question i would say you're much better with a mixture in there probably leaning towards more meat-based sources in the long term last one and this is a good one to answer because again there's a lot of confusion around this so should i use creatine for muscle and building strength so for building muscle and building strength essentially so again i'm not going to give any absolutely solid recommendations on what you should and shouldn't do i would say when it comes to supplement use here's a wee disclaimer for you always Consult your doctor first to see if there's any issues with you using supplements as an individual. But generally, I would say, actually, creatine is a pretty safe bet for most people, okay? Yes, it is going to slightly increase your strength. It's going to slightly increase your endurance and therefore the total amount of volume you can handle in a session. And as a result, you're probably going to recover a little bit better something to really get out of your head is creatine is not like steroids at all it's not going to give you like any sort of dramatic increases you're not going to pile on muscle at a rate of knots 
it's just going to help you a little bit, okay? Um, in terms of how to use it, obviously it was popular a few years ago to do the whole creatine loading thing. So <laughs> I think it's something like 20 grams a day um, for, is it 10 days or something like that? And then you drop off onto a lower dose. Again, wouldn't recommend because your digestive system is not going to thank you for that. It can be quite hard on the digestive system and yeah, wouldn't do it. What I'd recommend if you're going to use it is probably start with five grams a day and just take that consistently. In terms of cycling it, again, I'm not going to give you a solid lock-in advice on what to do. They do generally say run it in 12-week cycles. To be honest, coming from somebody who has had, well, who has kidney disease, okay, and I get all these things monitored because there was a lot of chat about creatine's effects on the kidneys. I was on creatine solid for whew, probably four or five years, just at five grams a day. So the, the low dose I'm kind of talking about. For me personally, it had no effect on my kidneys at all. The research is saying it has no effect on your kidneys um, so far. So yeah, it didn't really do me any harm. So cycle it if you want. It's probably not going to do you any harm if you're on it at a steady dose anyway, because creatine is something we get in from natural food sources anyway but yeah i would keep it at a lower dose keep it at five grams a day and just be patient with it because it will help but it will take time okay so yeah that is all my questions and that is that so yeah hopefully that has given you a bit more insight into nutrition i am trying to get better at not getting distracted in terms of i think with some of that i maybe went off on tangents a little bit within that but hopefully i've communicated all the information to you as always if you found this useful let me know if you've got any questions that you want answered yourself let me know and yeah i will speak to you next week